It was a dark night in mid-October in Dallas, Texas. Three amazingly beautiful, hilarious siblings Tashay, Sage, and Storm walk into a bar. From behind the light of a single candle, as the drinks begin to flow, so do the stories. And as per usual, they turn dark very quickly. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Three Siblings Walk Into a Bar. My name is Sage, the middle sibling. I'm Storm, the youngest sibling. I'm Shay, the oldest sibling. I was going to say y'all, but I say that every single time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every week we're like, it's been a week. Yeah, every time. I know. Really, we just have really stressful lives. Yeah, my, one of my mentors <laughs> has started like repeating our sayings back to me. The yeah. other day she goes, listen. And I was like, uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I'll see you. I'll see you. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. We got to get shirts made. We really do. But just For say reals. Listen. Like literally. Listen. <laughs> literally. Listen. listen. <laughs> this is where it gets wild. <laughs> listen. This is where it exactly. gets wild. Yeah. Buckle yeah. up. <laughs> Can you tell oh we're my three gosh. close siblings so we all talk exactly the same? <laughs> um, yes. And I have to watch it because I'm really bad at like I I hate saying this but like copying people you pick up things from people so like mm. yeah and so when I listen like I like to listen to a podcast like I'll start it and I listen to it all the way mm. through and so then I'll catch up like little things that they say and then I'll start saying it and I'm like stop mm-hmm. you have your own podcast yeah. <laughs> there was one time i was sick for like a week and i watched i don't even remember what show it was it was some like british show but i was in my house by myself for a week watching binging this british show i could have sworn to you that i had a british accent after that <laughs> <laughs> like me imprint like me listen to me i don't sound like a fucking fat british accent <laughs> But you like say it in your nice. head and you say you have a British yeah. accent in your head. Yeah. yeah I feel that. It was, uh, it was, we were eating dinner today, speaking of uh, accents. And Madeline was like, Dad, my school has so many bugs. And he goes, It does. And she goes, Yeah. She said, I walked outside and there was a grasshopper on the fence. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Because y'all have to, Richard's from the yes. North. He's Pennsylvanian. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And so he makes fun of anybody that has an accent down here. And so he looked at her and he goes, yeah, and did you tell it to get, get off? Get. And I was like, oh my God, Richard, stop. Well, I said that about your middle kid too. Like he's starting to get a real slow southern Oh yeah. Yeah, he does. With his hand. He always says hand. (laughs) Mom, my hand. My hand. I'm like, you have that in your hand. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He's so silly. Well, Storm, we had something coming up this week, right? What's going on? Yes, we have some very exciting news. We were Mm -hmm. on um, our podcast friend. His name's Kevin. He has a podcast called Where the Weird Ones Are. Obviously, us. And we were on his podcast. We all went on there and told some funny stories 
I mean, I don't think they were supposed to be funny, but like we're funny, right. so they were funny. <laughs> yeah. But we all told a paranormal, true, not a true crime, paranormal alien. And it was like a. And like a. Cryptid, like, a uh, like a cryptid. Cryptid, thing. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun, and he's awesome. All of his episodes are great. I love listening to his podcast, so make sure you go check it out. I'm not sure exactly what day this week it comes out, but it does come out. So keep on our social media or um, go on to his um, Instagram, and it'll be posted on there when it comes out. Go check it out. We're super excited. Yeah, yes. So much fun. I can't wait to hear it. All right, y'all. I already told you, but this is going to be a long one. <laughs> uh, there's, yes. Uh, there's quite a bit of information in here. Um well, we already talked about it. Do you guys know who Edmund Kemper is, right? Well, yes. I thought I did, but I guess okay, I don't. Okay, so for everybody that does not know Edmund Kemper, Edmund Kemper, I'm about to explain his entire life, but um, the show on Netflix, Mind Hunter, um, they are trying to get like a profile of serial killers together, and they speak to him a lot. And I just rewatched it, so... I'm super well versed on this. Who <laughs> <laughs> he knows? Like you talk to the actor. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is one of those where, like, I know of his story and kind of like what he did, but I don't know the like. Oh yeah, it's details it's of it. So I'm excited to hear all it's the things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an expert on him because I watch the show and I also have a British accent. You're welcome. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. yes. all right so this guy is edmund emil kemper the third and he was born in burbank california on december 18th of 1948 he was the middle child obviously of three kids um and oh yeah and he was the the only son Oh, great. Um, Wow. And so his parents' names are Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper and Edmund Emil Kemper Jr. Um, Edmund Jr. uh, was a World War II veteran who, after the war, uh, in the war, he tested nuclear weapons. Um, And after he returned to California, he worked as an electrician. Now, Clarna, Clarnell, why do I keep wanting to call her Clarna? Isn't that like a, a anyways. <laughs> oh my, I don't know. Welcome to my brain. It's me. It's a shampoo. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> Clarnell often would complain about her husband's menial electrician jobs. Ooh, right? What? Um, Edmund Jr., uh, who is Edmund's father, uh, he later stated that suicide missions in wartime and atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. That just shows you how Ooh. full of this one Ooh. Yeah. So. So what you mean to say is a horrible mom made another serial killer? Right. No way. Exactly. Exactly. My gosh. <laughs> Um, So Kemper was a very large person, just in general. Um, He was a head taller than all of his peers by the age of four. He was was very, very tall. Um, Early on, he exhibited antisocial behavior. Um, He would torture insects and he... um, 
there was a lot of cruelty to animals. So Mm-mm. at the age of 10, um, he buried the family pet cat, um, but he <gasps> buried it alive. No. <clears throat> so once the cat died, obviously, um, he dug it up, he decapitated it, and mounted the head <gasps> on a spike. After oh it died. Gosh. Oh my god. Poor this baby. So much. Um Oh, see, you just made <gasps> a cat upset. <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> Stop it. So Kemper later stated <laughs> that he derived pleasure from successfully lying to his family about killing the cat. So it wasn't necessarily actually killing the cat, it was that he was getting away with it and he was lying and they were believing him. Getting away with it. Mm-mm. Okay. So at the age of 13, uh, he killed another family cat uh, when it, it kind of, it started favoring his younger sister and he got jealous. Um, so what? he uh, basically Mm-mm. cut the cat up into pieces and kept it in his closet <gasps> where his mother found them. Ew. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> Kemper was known uh, to have dark fantasies and uh, morbid imagination. Uh, when he was a kid, Kemper performed rites with his younger sister's dolls by him removing their heads and hands. On occasion, when his eldest sister, Susan, teased him about it, and asked, uh, wow, <laughs> sorry, I got lost for a second. Okay. So, um, he would, he would play with his sister's dolls, um, and basically take them apart. Um, he apparently had this fantasy of kissing his teacher. Like he was, he was really into okay. his, sis- his, his sister, his teacher. So, um, <laughs> I think that's kind of like the, the like mother type vibe. Like he was just yeah. trying to look for yeah. that. Um, so Kemper also recalled that when he was a young boy, he would sneak out of his house um, armed with his father's bayonet and go to his second grade teacher's house and watch her through her window. In second grade? Uh, this sec- in second grade. Wow. Oh my gosh. And they were just leaving that readily available for him to just yeah. grab? His dad, like his bayonet apparently oh. was just out and he just oh. yard. Okay. Uh Kimber did state in interviews that later uh that in his later life that some of his favorite games to play as a kid were gas chamber and electric chair, in which he would ask uh, his younger sister to tie him up and flip an imaginary switch. Uh, and then he would tumble and writhe on the mm-hmm. floor pretending to be electrocuted uh, or, or executed by gas inhalation or electric shock. Oh, Is this foreshadowing? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, so Kemper also had a, a couple of near-death experiences as a kid. Um, once his older, his older sister pushed him in front of a train. 
What? And then another time, she successfully pushed him into the deep end of a swimming pool where Kemper almost drowned. Well, she seems freaking crazy, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I hate when people say that, but she seems like she, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So... Kemper did have a close relationship with his father. He was notably devastated when his parents separated in 1957 and divorced in 61. Um, So he had to be raised by his mother, Miss Clarnell. Mm. Um, And they were in Helena, Montana, is where they moved after after the divorce. Um, He had a severely dysfunctional relationship with his mother, a neurotic, uh, domineering alcoholic who frequently belittled, humiliated, and even abused him. Clarnell often made her son sleep in a locked basement because she feared of what he would do to his sisters. He regular, she regularly mocked him for his large size. He was six foot four at the age of 15. Oh my God. <clears throat> she would call him a real weirdo um, in a phone conversation where she was talking to his dad um, and she didn't know that he was uh, listening and she called him a real weirdo. Um, She also refused to show Kemper any affection out of fear that he would turn gay. That is a direct quote from this woman. She did not show. He would turn. She didn't show her son any physical affection because she thought that it would turn him gay. I, I, okay. That makes no yeah. sense. None yeah. whatsoever. You know what it's gonna do? Giving having no female giving him any sort of attention right. is gonna turn exactly. him gay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Oh my god. So Kemper obviously uh, he doesn't like his mom very much. Um, he would describe her as a sick and angry woman. It was. Uh, it had been rumored that she had borderline personality disorder. Sounds like it. Sounds like it, yeah. So at the age of 14, Kemper ran away from home and attempted to reconcile with his father in California. So he ran away from Montana and went to California trying to be with his dad. Uh, Mm -hmm. Once he got there, Kemper learned that his father had remarried and now has a stepson. Kemper stayed with his father for a short while until the elder Kemper sent him to live with his grandparents and they lived on a ranch in the foothill foot. Wow. The foothills <laughs> of Sierra Nevada. Uh, it was about two miles West of uh, the town of North folk. So it's in the middle of nowhere. It's off of like a dirt road. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Kemper hated living there. Uh, he would describe his parent, his grandparents as senile and said that his, uh, grandmother was constantly emasculating him and his grandfather. So it just sounds like the, the moms in this family are just super awesome. All of mm-hmm. them. So, so great. great. Love them so much. On August 27th of 1964, at the age of 15, Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table uh, with his grandmother when they had an argument. So he gets really pissed and he storms off uh, and he goes to retrieve a rifle that his grandfather had for hunting. 
the rifle had been confisca- confiscated from Kemper because he was needlessly shooting animals um, around their farm. So they took the gun away from him. <sighs> so he, uh, he comes back into the kitchen and he has the shotgun with him in the kitchen. Um, and he shoots his grandmother in the head firing twice. <gasps> uh, and so he, he hits her in the head and then he shoots her twice in the back. So he's oh my real God. mad. Um, and his grandmother's last words reportedly were, oh, you better not be shooting those birds again. Because she <gasps> heard him getting the shotgun. <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, some accounts mentioned that she also suffered multiple post-mortem stab wounds with a kitchen knife. When Kemper's grandfather... Uh, returned from the grocery store, Kemper went outside and fatally shot him in the driveway next to his car. He was unsure of what to do next, so he phoned his mother, who uh, who told him to co- contact the local police. Um, Kemper did, and he just waited for them to come get him. After the arrest, Kemper said that... Uh, he just wanted to see what it was like to kill grandma and testified that he killed his grandmother, his grandfather, because he was worried about him seeing the dead grandmother. So he did it out of compassion, basically, is what he thinks. Right. Um, Do we believe that? Yeah. So there's a psychiatrist who interviewed uh, Kemper during his adulthood, and this psychiatrist wrote, in his own way, he had avenged the rejection of both his father and his mother. So he, so his grandparents were acting as his mother and father. So he killed both of them to kill his mother and father is basically what he's saying. Right. Um, So at, yeah, Yeah, at 15, um, he's 15 years old when he does this and uh, he is diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. And he is taken to a state hospital. Uh, it's a maximum uh, maximum security facility for mentally ill convicts. So um, at this place, the California Youth Authority psychiatrists and social workers disagree with the court psychiatrist diagnosis. Their report stated that Kemper no longer showed... Uh, that Kemper showed no flight of idea or interference with thought, no expression of delusion delusion or hallucination, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. So he started to get good at telling people what they wanted to hear. Yeah. They also observed him to be intelligent and introspective. Initial testing measured his IQ at 136, over two standard deviations above average. So he's really smart. Mm, really yeah. smart. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Kemper was re-diagnosed with a less severe condition, um, a personality trait disturbance or passive aggressive type. Later on in his time at the uh, psychiatric facility, he was given another IQ test and he scored even higher. And it was 145. Oh my God. Holy shit. 145. That's... It's wild. That's crazy. 
What's an average person? Do we know? Um, I don't know. Can one of y'all Google it? I'll Google I'm it sure, while you keep talking. I'm sure it's up there. But um, I, Kemper endeared himself to the psychiatrist by being a model prisoner. And he was trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. Yes. What? <clears throat> Average IQ is between 85 and 115. So he's Damn, like okay. real smart. Yeah. yeah. And, and it makes sense with all the stuff that he's doing. Um, a psychiatrist later mm-hmm. said uh, he was a very hard, good and hard worker, and uh, not, which is not typical of a sociopath. Um, he really took pride in his work. Kemper also became a member of the JCs while he was at the hospital and claimed to have developed some new tests and some new scales for um, what he has. So his personality disorder, he was like making tests for people to see if they had it basically. And he's doing this while he's like young in a psychiatric facility. Damn. Um, Okay. So on December 18th of uh, 1969, his 21st birthday, Kemper was released on parole from the psychiatric facility. Against the recommendations of psychiatrists at the hospital, he was released into the care of his mother, Clarnell. Oh, no. Why? (laughs) What? While he was in the hospital, she had uh, previously remarried and taken the name Strandberg and was later divorced again. Wow. Clarnell then resided in, uh, she was still in California, uh, which is just a short drive from the, uh, and she worked as an administrative assistant um, at the University of California in Santa Cruz. Kemper later uh, demonstrated further, oh my God, Kemper later demonstrated further to his psychiatric, one of these fucking days. Okay. Kemper later <laughs> demonstrated further to his psychiatrists that he was rehabilitated on November 29th of 1972 uh, in the, all of his juvenile records were permanently expunged. Shut up. He murdered Yes, him. his grandparents. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Uh, Okay. So I can understand them not being public record, right? Because he's underage. Mm -hmm. But it should be readily available if a police officer or a judge or somebody needs to get a hold of it. This is the 70s. Oh, this stuff is like. This is the 70s. It's just starting to like become Uh -uh. big. And all the serial killers are killing everybody in the 70s. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Uh, The last report from his probation psychiatrist read, If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that he, uh, that we're dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative. uh, Who had initiative, intelligence, (laughs) and who was free from any psychiatric illnesses. 
So his psychiatrist is saying that he's fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so while staying with his mother, uh, Kemper attended community college in accordance with his parole requirements and had hoped to become a police officer. He was rejected mm-hmm. <laughs> from being a police officer because of his size. From his size? Because yeah. of his size? Really? You would think that would be a, 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 a yeah. good thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Um, or maybe it's because he looked too intimidating. Maybe. I, I think it's because maybe. of his record and they just didn't know what else to tell him or what else to say. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, um, at sense. the time that he was released, um, he was six foot nine. Holy yeah. shit. So he's just That's a kid. Oh, my God. He's like almost okay. seven foot tall. And so people will call him Big Ed, obviously. So uh, even though he wasn't, um, he couldn't be a police officer, he still kept relationships with the Santa Cruz police officers. Um, And he would uh, self-describe, he would describe himself as a friendly nuisance at the local police bar. Uh, It's called the jury room. (laughs) And he would hang out there all the time. And he would talk to police officers all the time. He's... Because he's so he's smart. He's so mm-hmm. smart. He knows he's what doing he's doing. research is what he's doing. Oh, hell. So Stop. Kemper worked a series of menial jobs uh, before gaining employment with the State of California Division of Highways. During this time, his relationship with his mom remained toxic and hostile. The two, uh, mm. the two having frequent arguments and the neighbors that neighbors often overheard. Kemper's, uh, Kemper last described one of his arguments with his mother around this time. My mother and I started right in um, on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go from it would go from fist it would go to fist with a man, but this is my mother, and I couldn't stand hitting my mother. The last thing that they argued about mm-hmm. was him not wanting to go to the dentist to get his teeth cleaned. Uh, okay. That was their big argument. That's so crazy. Yeah. So uh, when Kemper had saved up enough money, uh, he moved out to live with a friend Um. There, uh, he still complained about being um, unable to get away from his mother because she would regularly phone him and paid him surprise visits. He often... She's literally trying to control him. Like, literal what she's doing. He often had financial uh, difficulties, which resulted in him having to move back in with his mother. His mother is living in an apartment. So he had to move it into an apartment with his with this mother. Mm-mm. At a Santa Cruz beach, uh, Kemper, who was in his early twenties, met a student from uh, high school, um, and he became engaged in March of 1973. Their engagement lasted over a year and then was broken off due to Kemper's second arrest. 
his parents requested uh, her name, her parents requested her name not be revealed to the public. She was reportedly 17 at the time of his arrest. And (gasps) she was then reported to be living in privacy, uh, trying to just finish her high school years during his arrest. So she's in fucking high school at 17. She was, what, 15? They She had to been 15 if they were engaged for a year and a half and she was 17. She had to be 15 years old when they yeah. started dating. That's what it sounds yeah. like. It's, I mean, he was a grown-ass mm-hmm. adult. He was in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. And his parents were just okay. With, or her parents were she just, did, sure, apparently, honey. but And she didn't know any of this. She she knew nothing about any of it. The only thing that she knew yeah. was after he got arrested. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the same year, that same year, um, he when he was working for the highway division, Kemper was hit by a car while riding a motorcycle that he had recently purchased. His arm was badly injured in the crash, and he received uh, $15,000, which is close to like $100,000 in today. Um, And he received a settlement from a civil suit that he filed with the car's driver. Mm -hmm. So uh, he later bought another car, um, and he was driving around in his 1969 Ford Galaxy. Uh, which he bought with the settlement money. And uh, he noticed that there was a large number of young women hitchhiking. And he began storing plastic bags, Mm. knives, blankets, handcuffs in his car. Oh, no. He began picking up young women and peacefully letting them go. According to Kemper, he picked up around 150 hitchhikers who... uh, who were in the line with this pattern. That's a lot of hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. like, maybe we don't just don't live in an area where there's hitchhikers, but I'm like, I've in my entire life have probably seen maybe yeah. 10. This is also the early seventies. So it was a lot back more, then, it was yeah. a lot more prevalent back then. Uh, so he's picked up around a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> he's picked up around 150 people. Um, and this was before he felt the homicidal sexual urges in which he called little zapples. That's what he would call oh his little. Okay. Yeah. Let's make it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. So later, uh, obviously he begins acting on his little zapples. Mm-hmm. Kimber had stated in interviews uh, that he often searched for victims after having arguments with his mother and she refused to introduce him to women attending the university where she worked. He recalled, she would say, you're just like your father. You don't deserve to get to know them. (laughs) Oh Lord. Psychiatrist and Kemper himself um, have espoused the belief that the uh, young women were surrogates for his ultimate target, which was his mother. His mom, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm like, how is she still alive? <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, we're getting into it. Oh, God, here we go. All I'm right. just going to mute you really quick. <laughs> Let me know when you're done. Okay. <laughs> Mary Ann Pesci. 
and Anita Luchessa. On May 7th of 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley and he picked up two 18-year-old hitchhiker students from Fresno State University. Marianne and Anita, uh, with the, he picked up both of them with the pretense of them going to Stanford. They were, he was driving them to Stanford. Mm-hmm. Um, after driving for about an hour, he managed to reach a secluded wooded area um, around the hospital that he was at. Um, and the reason he knew of this place was because he worked for the highway department. So he knew all the little, like mm-hmm. every back road everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it without alerting the passengers that he had changed the direction. So somehow he had them distracted enough that they didn't notice that they were going the wrong way. Wow. Um, he is so smart. Like it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> this, this man is one of the, one of the ones that legitimately terrifies me. He scares the mm-hmm. shit out of me. Um, so he's in this little wooded area um, and he handcuffs uh, Pesci and locked the other girl in the trunk. Uh, he then stabbed and strangled Pesci to death, subsequently killing the other girl who was in the trunk the same way. Mm-hmm. Kemper later confessed that while uh, handcuffing Pesci, he brushed the back of his hand uh, against her breast and was embarrassed by it, adding that he said, whoops, I'm sorry. Whoops. I'm sorry. <laughs> Before he kills her. My bad. My bad for touching yeah. your bib, but like, I'm just going to stab he you said, at school. He yeah. said, whoops. whoops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oopsies. So, my little, my little uh, dapple yeah. got a little out of hand. I'm sorry. So this just goes to show you, oh, like, Lord. he is super fucking smart, but he, it doesn't see, he, he doesn't know how to deal with women at all. These like, yes. word. Yeah. Social cues. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kemper put both of the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by a police officer for having a broken taillight. Um, and the officer did not detect the corpses that were in the car. Kemper's roommate was home, uh, so he took the bodies, was not home, so he took the bodies into his apartment uh, where he photographed them and had sexual intercourse with the corpses before dismembering them. God. He then put the body parts into plastic bags, uh, which he later abandoned near a local mountain. Before disposing of the severed heads in the ravine, Kemper sexually assaulted both of them. Oh my god. In August of that year, Pesci's skull was found at the base of the mountain. Um, An an extensive search was done for the other girl's skull, but was not found. Mm. Um, Eiko... Ku. That I had to practice that name for a long time. <laughs> <Aiko>. <laughs> um, on the evening of September 14th of 1972, Kemper picked up a 15-year-old dance student uh, 
Mm-mm. who decided to hitchhike home instead of taking the bus. What? I know, I know it's the 70s, mm-hmm. but I just, I'm like... She's 15. I can't. Um, so he again drove her to a remote area where he pulled a gun on her. Um, he accidentally locked himself outside of the car. Uh, however Ku let him back inside despite the fact that the gun was still in the car what he accidentally locked himself out of the car the girl and the gun were both in the car she unlocked the door to let him back in the car okay she's 15 she She doesn't doesn't know you know like she doesn't know um so um while when he got back in the car uh he proceeded to choke her unconscious rape her and then kill her kemper subsequently packed up her body um into the trunk of his car and then went to a nearby bar for a few drinks before he returned to his apartment and you remember the bar that he hangs out at is the jury room (gasps) it's full of cops all the time. Uh, he later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened his trunk, the trunk of his car, admiring his catch like a fisherman, is what he said. Mm-mm. That's disgusting. Back at his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse and then dismembered it and disposed of the remains in a similar manner to the previous two victims. Ku's mother called uh, the police to report the disappearance of her daughter and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information, uh, but she did not receive any uh, responses regarding where her daughter was. So the next lady's name is Cindy Shawl. On January 7th of 1973, Kemper, who had moved back in with his mother, was driving around a local college, and he picked up an 18-year-old student, Cynthia, or Cindy. Um, he, uh, he drove her to a wooded area again and fatally shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. He then placed her body in the trunk of his car and drove to his mother's house, where he kept the body hidden in his closet in his room overnight. Oh my God. When his mother left for work the next morning, he had sexual intercourse and uh, removed the bullet from the corpse. He then dismembered it and decapitated it in his mother's bathtub. Kemper kept her uh, severed head for several days Uh, regularly engaging in sexual assault with it. He then buried it in his mother's garden, facing upward towards her bedroom. After his arrest, he stated that he did this because his mother always wanted people to look up to her. Oh my God. That is so fucked up. So fucked up. fucking freak. So, uh, He threw the rest of the remains off of a cliff Um, over the course of the following few weeks, except for the head, um, which obviously he buried. Um, 
And whenever they discovered the body, uh, they had to piece it together like a macabre jigsaw puzzle is what the people that had to do it would say. No. Um, and they also determined that she had been cut in, uh, she had been dismembered by a power saw, which is one of the first leads that they get from any of this. Mm-hmm. So uh, Rosalind Thorpe and Allison Liu. On February 5th of 1973, after a heated argument with his mother, Kemper left the house um, in search of more victims. So he was going out looking for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, With heightened suspicion of a serial killer preying on hitchhikers in in the Santa Cruz area, students had been advised to accept rides from um, only cars with the university stickers on them. Kemper was able to obtain a sticker because his mother works for the college. Oh my God. Mm, Wow. He encountered a 23 year old Rosalind Thorpe um, and 20 year old uh, Alice, Alice Helen Liu, who went by Allison um, on the campus. According to Kemper, uh, Thorpe, entered his car first, reassuring the other girl that it was okay to enter. He first uh, fatally shot Thorpe and then Liu uh, with the pistol and wrapped their bodies in blankets. So he has more bodies in his car. Um, Kemper again brought the victims to his mother's house. Uh, This time he beheaded them in the car and then carried their headless corpses into his mother's house to have sexual intercourse with them. He then dismembered the bodies and removed the bullets to prevent um, identification and discard. And he was going to discard the remains the next morning. So some of the remains were found in the canyon, the cliff that he threw the other bodies off of a week later. Mm-hmm. And then some of them were found off of Route 1, which is a, a main highway that goes through there. Um, when questioned in an interview about why he decapitated his victims, he explained the head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything's at, the brain, the eyes, the mouth. That's the person. I remember uh, being told as a kid, you cut off the head um, and the body dies. (laughs) The body is nothing after the head's been cut off. So he is able to justify this because he thinks that after you cut off the head, it's no longer a person. Wow. Oh my God. All right. So... On April 20th of 1973, um, allegedly three weeks after becoming engaged, um, Emter, uh, Kemper was coming home from a party and 52-year-old Clarnell, uh, his mom, uh, was awakened by her son's arrival. Uh, while sitting on her bed reading a book, she noticed Kemper enter the room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk. Kemper replied, no, good night. 
As soon as he walks in the fucking door, she's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, I'm, I guess you just want to sit up and talk all night. I guess I'm going to have to talk to you all night. And he's like, no. Good what? Oh, my God. Uh, okay. He then waited for her to fall asleep. And then he snuck back into her room and bludgeoned her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a pen knife. Mm -hmm. Kemper then beheaded her and humiliated her corpse, as stated in a 1984 interview with Kemper. So you remember earlier when he said, if you cut off the head, it's just, there's nothing there. It's not a person anymore. yeah. Yeah. Um, Kemper stated that he uh, put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for about an hour and threw darts at it. And ultimately, he ended up smashing her face in on a decapitated head. (gasps) Oh, Oh my God. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break them down. Uh, because the toughness of the vocal cords and ejected the tissue back into the sink. Oh, God. That seemed appropriate as much as she uh, bitched and screamed and yelled at me over the years, Kemper later said. So he did it because he wanted to silence her. So Kemper hid his mother's corpse in his closet and went to drink at a bar. Upon his return, uh, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor, or Sally. Um, He invited her over to have dinner and watch a movie. When she arrived, Kemper strangled her to death to create a cover story that his mother and her um, had gone away on vacation. So he kills this other woman <laughs> just to have an alibi wow. for his mother. Uh, he wow. subsequently subsequently put uh, the uh, the corpse uh, in a closet. Uh, so he has both of these corpses in a closet: his mother and her mm-hmm. best friend. When he's telling people that they went on vacation. So, um, afterward, uh, Kemper fled the scene. Uh, he drove nonstop to Colorado, uh, taking caffeine pills to stay awake, uh, to drive over the thousand mile journey. He had three guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car. He believed that he was a target of an active manhunt. No one even knows that he's murdering anybody yet. After not hearing anything on the radio about the murders of his mother and her best friend, uh, when he arrived to Colorado, he found a phone booth and called the police. What? (laughs) He wants them to Uh chase him. He confessed to the murder of his mother and her best friend, um, but the police did not take the call seriously uh, and told him to call back at a later time. What? Oh my God. Oh Lord. So, several hours later, Kemper called again. Um, he asked to speak to one of the officers that he personally knew, 
Um, he confessed to the officer killing his mother and her best friend, um, and then waited for the police to arrive to take him into custody. Upon his capture, Kemper uh, also confessed to the murder of six students. When asked in a later interview uh, he why he turned himself in, Kemper said, the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving uh, any physical or real emotional purpose. It was a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it any longer. Toward the end there, I started to feel uh, the whole damn thing. So basically, his mom's dead. So he doesn't feel the mm -hmm. need to kill people anymore. Yeah. It was his mom the whole time. The whole time. It was his mom. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, not to like say that anybody needed to die through all this, but I'm like, could you not have just killed your mom and like the first saved right. all these poor yeah. women? So Kemper was indicted on eight counts of first degree murder on May 7th of 1973. He was assigned uh, the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County attorney, Jim Jackson, due to uh, Kemper's explicit and detailed confession his counsel's only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. So because he told the cops literally everything that he did, the only way he was going to have anything out of this was to tell them that he was just insane and wasn't, didn't know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So Kemper twice tried to commit suicide in his in custody um, during his trial um, but his trial went ahead anyways on October 23rd of 1973. Uh, three court-appointed mm, court mm -hmm. psychiatrists found Kemper to be legally sane. Mm -hmm. One of the psychiatrists, Dr. Joel Fort, investigated his juvenile records um, and the diagnosis that he once had from uh, his first arrest. Yeah. Fort also interviewed Kemper, uh, inc including under truth serum, and uh, relayed to the court that Kemper had engaged in cannibalism, alleging, mm. a alleging mm. that sounds wrong, alleging that he uh, <laughs> sliced flesh from the legs of his victims and then cooked and consumed it. Uh, it's cooked the cooked and consumed the strips of flesh in a casserole. Oh, that, that is so gross. <laughs> Why would you put it in a casserole? That's so gross. Oh my God. <laughs> what if somebody accidentally yes. ate it? Right? <sighs> Just cook it like a steak like a normal person. <laughs> mm -mm. Exactly. Normal God. Uh, so, uh, Fort determined that Kemper was fully cognizant in, uh, each case and stated that Kemper enjoyed the prospect of the infamy associated with being labeled a murderer. Kemper later recanted his confession of cannibalism. Hmm. Uh, He's like, listen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that kind yeah, of. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it, it, he was under truth serum, so he was, he, it was, a uh, sodium, Crazy pants. Kind of, whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. basically he told them the truth and then later he was like, no, just kidding. I didn't do that. 
Just me. kidding. Yeah, okay, exactly. LOL. <laughs> um, so Kemper appeared to have known uh, the nature of his acts were wrong, so he couldn't be uh, by reason of insanity because he knew that it was wrong the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had even shown signs of malicious forethought, which is first degree murder. On November 7th, uh, Kemper took the stand and he testified that he killed the victims because he wanted them for myself like possessions and attempted to convince the mm-hmm. jury that he was insane based on the reasoning of his actions and that someone with a clear mind would never uh, commit these acts. So again, mm. he's smart and he's trying to manipulate, mm. manipulate these people. Yeah. Uh, he stated that uh, two beings inhab- inhabited his body. And when the killer personality took over, it was kind of like blacking out. So when he was a kid, he was in a mental facility and he was giving tests to these other people that were in there. He knows what he's talking Mm -hmm. about. He's Mm -hmm. smart. Um, On November 8th of 1973, uh, the six man, six woman jury deliberated for about five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all counts. He asked for the death penalty, requesting death by torture. I don't think that's a thing. That's not even a thing. It's not. No, it's not. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Put him in the little bowl thing. Yeah, yeah, the iron bowl (laughs) or the thumbs. The thumbs, the thumbs, yeah, the (laughs) thumbs for sure. (laughs) A thousand cuts. Oh my god. Oh, okay. God. <laughs> so, however, with a stop placed on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven, uh, seven years to life for each count. Seven years to life sounds very low to me, but... Mm-hmm. It does sound yeah. way low. Yeah. Um, and he would have to serve them concurrently. Um, and he was sentenced to another medical facility instead of. So wait, say that again. He got seven to life for each yes. murder. So there was eight murders, and he got seven to life for each of them, and they had to be served all together. In a row. So okay. if life is twenty-five years, eight times twenty-five is how long he was supposed to be in there. Okay. Okay. Um, in the California medical facility, uh, Kemper was incarcerated in the same prison block as the notorious criminals, such as Hubert Mullen and Charles Manson. Wow. Uh, Kemper showed a particular disdain for Mullen, who committed his murders at the same time in the same area as Kemper. He described Mulan as a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. What? Wow. 
Oh, Lord. Kemper uh, manipulated and physically intimidated Mulan, who at five foot nine was a foot shorter than him. Kemper stated that uh, Mulan had a habit of singing and bothering people uh, when somebody tried to watch TV. So I threw water at him to shut him up. Then, uh, Then when he was a good boy... I'd give him peanuts. Oh, Herbie liked peanuts. This is how he's talking about this person, this other serial killer. Like he's a dog. Like he's a dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh god. Oh. Um. The, uh, that was effective because pretty soon after, he would ask me permission to sing. So he can't get away from just manipulating the shit out of people. Mm-hmm. Um, Kemper remains among the general population in the prison and is considered a model prisoner. Of course he, he was is. in charge of scheduling other inmates' appointments with psychiatrists um, and was an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups. He was a secretary. <laughs> and a okay. Was... <laughs> oh, as, as Lord. You do. I can't. As you do. <laughs> as you retire exactly. from murder. Yeah. Um, he was also a prolific narrator of audiobooks for a charity program that prepared material for visually impaired people in 1987. Shut up. Los Angeles times article uh stated that he was the conductor of the prison's program and personally spent over 5000 hours narrating books uh several hundred books um can you imagine listening to mm-hmm. an audiobook by a serial killer i i wouldn't be able to listen to it well, no. did they know who it was? I, they probably don't know. So, and also, like audiobooks now, they tell work? you who's saying them, but I'm assuming that they would leave that information out. I would feel like you would yeah. have to. Or it like it came yeah. from the prison. Like it doesn't say who it was. It's just it's from the prison. Yeah. Yeah. Um so Kemper was retired from these positions in 2015. Um, after he experienced Holy a stroke shit. and was declared medically disabled. Uh, he received mm. his first rule violations recorded in 2016 for uh, failing to provide a urine sample. While imprisoned, Kemper uh, has participated in a number of interviews, including a segment in the 1982 documentary, The Killing of America, as well as an appearance in 1984 on the documentary Murder, No Apparent Motive. His interviews um, have contributed to the understanding of the mind of serial killers. This is where the the mind hunter comes in. Um, FBI Mm -hmm. profiler John Douglas described Kemper as um, among the brightest prisoners that he has ever um, interviewed. Um, and he had a rare insight into a violent criminal's mind. Um, 
And he would even say that he personally liked Kemper because he was friendly and open and sensitive. Okay. Apparently he had a good sense of humor too. So he was friends with this uh, FBI agent. Yeah. Of course he was. Mm. Um, Kemper is is forthcoming about the nature of his crimes um, and has stated that he participated in the interviews uh, to save others from being killed. So he said that he wanted to save other people from people like him is why he did the interviews. Okay. That's good, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the end of his murder, no apparent uh, motive interview, he said, there's somebody out there that, uh, that is watching this and hasn't done that, hasn't killed people and wants to and rages inside and struggles with this feeling or is so, uh, so sure that they have it under control. They need to talk to somebody about it. Uh, it's not just a crime. It's a horrible thing. So basically he's trying to instill that I'm trying to help people there's somebody out there watching this yeah. that is a serial killer and they haven't done it yet, but they might. And if I say something, then they won't. Because I'm assuming, mm-hmm. I, I feel like at the end of this, he legitimately believed mm-hmm. that he was helping. I mean, he, he right. kind of was yeah. by, by um, the profiling and stuff like that. But at the same time, too little, too late. You also murdered a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Yeah. So Kemper was first eligible for parole in 1979. Uh, He was denied parole that year, uh, as well as uh, at his later parole hearings in 1980, 81, and 82. He subsequently uh, waived his right to a hearing in 1985. Uh, He was denied parole at his 1988 hearing where he said, society is not ready in any way, shape, or form for me. I can't fault them for that. Huh. Uh, he was okay. denied parole again in 1991 and 1994. He then waived his right to a hearing in 1997 and 2002. He attended his next hearing in 2007 uh, when he was again denied parole. So basically, he would have been eligible for parole again in 2024, next year. That's when he's up for parole. How is he even eligible for I don't parole? know. So what it said whenever they were sentencing him <laughs> is um, that the... Oh, I guess it's just capital punishment. So I don't know... So the Supreme Court of California uh, placed a stop on capital punishment. So I don't know why mm. they would give him the opportunity of parole. Yeah. Maybe it was because he was such a like model inmate. Who knows? Maybe. But that just goes to show you that he could literally manipulate anybody. Anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. This it's man scary. is legitimately terrifying. Everybody needs to know. He would have made you feel sorry mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. 
and make you think that it was somebody yeah, else's fault. Yeah, gaslight to the mm-hmm. extreme. Mm-hmm. And he hung out with cops while he was killing people. He knew. He knew. He just didn't care. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I watched oh, Mindhunter, God. and, like, they talk about the jury room, and they talk about, like, him going and the officers that knew him. And, like, it was, it's wild. If you guys haven't seen that, I highly suggest mm-hmm. watching it because it talks about a lot of different serial killers, like BTK and stuff like that. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's really good. It's crazy. It's I and also, could you imagine being one of the cops that was friends with him? Yeah, yeah. And just like, and you know, you could tell, you know, that they all went out okay. that night. Or like exactly, it, like you know? he had to call. He had to call twice to confess to fucking murder. Yeah. And he had to get somebody that he knew for them to believe him. The funniest thing to me about that is that as soon as it's not funny, but as soon as he killed his mom and her best friend, he was like, fuck, there's a manhunt. I have to go. Nobody knows. Nobody knew. Nobody was after him. And then he was like, Oh, no. just kidding. Maybe I should just call them and let them know. I'm going to make a manhunt. <laughs> and this man is oh, so, God. he's a genius, literal genius. And yeah. this is his behavior. thats It's just funny to me that he got caught up that way. <sighs> but, well, he finally got to do what he mm-hmm. wanted. Right. That's true. And so then he was just like... <laughs> He's like, okay, I'm done now. Also, like, if you were going to yeah, give yourself up in the first place, why would you have so many guns, so much ammunition, and drive a thousand miles across the country? Right? Yeah. I wonder if he was expecting, like, some sort of, like, showdown. you know, shootout yeah, or something. Exactly. You know, like... This is not... Some some drama. Some drama. He's like, I'm going <laughs> to be on national <laughs> TV. Yes. Yeah. Oh it's just, it's so... Everyone's going to have money. <laughs> it's always so interesting to me that serial killers want the fame and infamacy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, if they do, if... Yeah. Well, I think they're literally proud of right. what they do, right? And so... something that I was thinking about while I was writing this script was if the, the media didn't portray serial killers the way that they do... Do you think we still mm-hmm. would have had as many serial killers? No, because think of yeah. it now. Maybe not. Yes, I do. I think we would, but we wouldn't know about them. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't know about it. Like looking at, like I know that there's like serial killers, almost always. Yeah. Like there's never mm-hmm. not one, right? I don't know of any. Recently. There was one in Austin recently. Oh, that's right. Yes. You told me about that one. Yes, I heard about that. I'll have to look it up and post but it it's somewhere. Just like, but it's it's terrifying. It's scary. They're not made as famous anymore. True. Which I think is um, probably helpful. I think, like, um, so... I don't know. I don't know that... Yeah. It could go either way, I feel like. Some could be like, oh, they're not going to, yeah. you know, they're not going to care. I'm not going to And, and the, it, this was like the mid-70s and 80s, early 80s. So, like, it, it, serial killers were everywhere. There was there was one in every state. There was mm-hmm. always something going on. If 
I imagine if I was in the 80s, like that's all I would hear about was serial killers. <laughs> that's the only thing that anybody ever I would be in about. a constant state of yes. like yeah. terror. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's something, it's very interesting to me uh, to think about like the, the portrayal of it. And then we sit here and talk about it all day long. So we should ask mm-hmm. mom and dad. Oh, yeah. That's if they remember. Mm hmm. Because you're so old. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Listen, well, I'm like, God, I would just be terrified constantly. Like when the Night Stalker mm-hmm. was a thing, if I lived in those areas, Mm-mm. I would just be in a constant state yeah. of fear. I feel like the second it started getting dark outside, I would lock myself in my like make sure all yeah. the windows were locked all the doors were locked i would have like 58 i would be like ed kemper running away i would have all the guns all the things to be like come but i imagine like terrifying. i imagine it's just like like the way that we say like we can't we can't let our kids play outside anymore and stuff like that like we mm-hmm. used to just come home like before the lights came on like that's how how we knew and i'm assuming it's it's similar mm-hmm. to that because like uh like the 60s and stuff like people didn't lock their doors people like it was community and then they had these people yeah. that were not part of the community and they fucked it up for everybody so i'm i, I right. think it's just like it's it's a cyclical um thing it's gonna it's gonna continue to happen but it's it's just interesting that i'm old enough now that i can see it happening mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very interesting yeah that's why I laugh at people that are like, oh, I didn't have to do that with my, like, my kid didn't have to be in a car seat for mm-hmm. that long, or my kid's yeah. car seat, crap on it. And I'm like, do you also know the amount of kids that died in car wrecks because exactly. they weren't in proper car exactly. seats? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's kind of the same thing where it's like, you don't have to lock your doors, but do you know the amount of people that have died because they didn't yeah, lock their and doors? I imagine. How many break ins have happened? I imagine in the. Because you didn't lock yeah, your Yeah, in the early 70s, like, someone was like, oh, no, fuck that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lock my door. And then they were the victim. Like, I, I can mm-hmm. guarantee yeah. that's how it happens. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of, yep. a lot of this stuff is opportunity, not necessarily with serial killers, but like if someone's carjacking, they're going to walk by and like open, try and open the doors and see which one's going to open. It's the path of least mm-hmm. resistance. So just, just pay attention. <laughs> it's not yeah. hard. I'm yep. like, you have all these security things now. Right. Quit thinking you're big, bad, and yeah. cool, and just yeah. use it. Do it. Yeah, use and I'm it. not. I'm not shaming victims at all. I know that that's what that sounded oh, like, no, but not I'm not all. shaming them at all. It's it's just that like I'm talking about Susie right. Q down the street who thinks that she's big, exactly. bad, and can do and whatever they think she wants. That the rules don't apply to them anymore because yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a long one. That was crazy. <laughs> I don't like it. Good job. I I mean, I have been researching this man for almost a month now, and it's terrifying. So no more. Yeah, no. I do think I'm going to do Jeffrey Dahmer next, though. Dang. (laughs) That Um, might be a two-parter. That's probably going to be a two-parter. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I. so you're not even going to have time for a break. You're going to have to literally start that like yesterday. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> like yesterday. Yeah. I, uh, I saw something that uh, the Dahmer show on Netflix is getting a second season. And I said something to my mentor and he goes, what? 
he's already in, like he's in jail. He's dead. Why is there a second season? What's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be him like exactly. haunting the prison. <laughs> it's just the ghost of Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh god, he's he's legit. He's it's true, and I didn't think about that. So now I have to go back and find that post and see if it was a joke. Or not. <laughs> I don't think. No, I don't think it's that. I think they're they're making like like that was the Jeffrey Dahmer. Now they're going to do like Ed Gein, and then they're going to do uh, like okay. I think that's what it was. Yeah, because so it is going to be a second season, but it's going to be different. Sorry, at different the end group. of Dahmer, they yeah. talked about Ed Gein, <laughs> the ghost of Dahmer. Oh, I was God. trying to like after he said that, I was so confused because I was like, what are they going to make it about? And then I was like, okay, well, maybe they can do, like, more courtroom. They can do, like, the victim's families and stuff like that. But you can't make an entire season of a show out of that. So it makes sense that there's... But also, like, they did that, really. Oh, my God. That's too funny. Yeah, people shit on this one because it's not necessarily completely accurate. But I believe that they did a very good job about representing the victims and their families. They did a very good job and then everybody else was getting all butthurt because they were like, you're sexualizing mm-hmm. him just because Evan, Evan what's Peters. his name, Evan Peters. And I'm like, they're not sexualizing no. Jeffrey Dahmer. They're sexualizing no. Evan yes. Peters because they did that in every single American exactly. horror story, horror everything story. else. Yeah. It's because he's a pretty man. It has nothing to do yeah. with Jeffrey Dahmer. Exactly. And the show didn't sexualize no. him. The creepy lady who was like, dang, Jeffrey Dahmer's cute. Like, no, yes, he's not. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, to be fair, um, <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer was beautiful. He was beautiful. Yes. Really? I didn't think so. Maybe he's just Mm-mm. like not my he's type, cute. but like. Now, Night Stalker. Night, if, as oh, long as he didn't crazy. open his Except mouth. Except for when he smiles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his That's teeth true. are yeah. nasty. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's this one photo. I'll have to find it. I'm, I'm going to have to post it somewhere. But there's this one photo of Jeffrey Dahmer, and it's used everywhere. And he's gorgeous. And th- I think that's just the photo that I see when I think of him. So that's probably what yeah. what it is. Yeah. But, yeah. I said that in the, in the shop the other day, yeah. and a client was there. And she was like, excuse me? And I was like, uh, okay, we're going to change the subject. <laughs> and you said, you're excused. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Do you see all these clowns on my wall? Come on. You came to me. Oh, uh, man. God, that's crazy story. He's nuts. I, I didn't know half of this Again, story. I hate saying that. I really need to think of a different thing to say, but he... So, little little fun fact: the reason I say "wild" so much is because I it I don't like saying like crazy or insane and stuff like that. So, wild is just kind Mm -hmm. of like the nicer way of saying it, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I've been doing Mm -hmm. it for years, and now people are starting to like recognize it and like call me out for it because I say it so much. Well, I mean. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. It is. And again, I think we ever already had an episode where we talked about how smart somebody was and then how scared we were of smart people yeah. or something. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, it really is. I mean, yes. Not obviously not all smart people. No. But when you have these other mm-hmm. issues plus being insanely smart and growing like, up in the family that that's he, grew terrifying. Up in, he had literally everything mm-hmm. was against him everything 
Everything, yep. yeah. So Everything. Sad. It's wild. <laughs> See? It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> I actually, we need to, like, not to be talking about this on the podcast, but we need to get, like, stickers or something that say that on there because... Actually, I think I've talked about this before. There was one day I was talking to Richard on the phone, like I was yeah. driving home and we were talking on the phone and um, hands free. I wasn't holding <laughs> my phone. Please don't yell at me. And there was a car that was in front of me and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a car in front of me that says it's a cult call your dad. And it had like a phone on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, will you look that up for me? Um, I think that's probably a podcast thing. And he was like, no, it's not. And I'm like, no, I I think it is. Like, I don't know what podcast. I've never heard it before, but I can almost guarantee you it's a podcast thing. And he went and looked it up and he was like, oh yeah, apparently it's um, merch for this blah, blah, blah podcast. And I was like, see, I told you. (laughs) I was like, we need to get stickers and make somebody put them all over their car. And then we can just be like, that's That's wild. (laughs) With Jeffrey Dahmer's face on it. (laughs) Perfect. The ghost of Jeffrey Dahmer. Or, like, this is going to sound oh, horrible, but. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that carries the same the same weight as, like, um, I'm not racist, but. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. I yeah. was taking yes. out the trash uh-huh. oh, at God. the shop the other day, and we have a bar in the same parking lot. And I was walking by the bar, and I hear this drunk woman. She goes, I'm not racist, but. I ran back <laughs> to the shop. I was like, I am not going to yes. be involved in this. I know what she's about to say, and I'm not doing this. Yeah, no. Oh, I can't. It was wild. <laughs> it was wild. I, well, that story was wild. I can't even deal. Was. He yeah. was wild. Ugh. Good job Jeez. with it. That was. I, uh, I know you're a thousand oh pages. God. Yes. Uh, so just so everybody knows, I wrote this script like two weeks ago and I open it today and it is all one line of text. There's one letter in in the line and it goes all the way down. It was a thousand pages and Storm fixed it right before we started recording. So thank you, Storm. <laughs> Gosh, that's so funny. You were like, it's a thousand <laughs> I was, pages. I was like, how much did you write? This, Damn. Uh, it was like... It was around 20 pages of notes from that script that I just read. That's a lot. lot. All right. Well, on that note, Storm, where can they find us? We are on Instagram and Twitter at 3SW3SWIB podcast. (laughs) I'm going to say it wrong (laughs) if I try to spell it. (laughs) Um, And then we're on Facebook, Three Siblings Walk Into a Bar. Please go on there, like, comment, do all the things. Um, also, please rate and review. It's super helpful for us. And yeah. All right. Thanks. Walk into a bar. <laughs>